Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. If you're looking to throw some optics on your turkey gun this spring, look no further than the Vortex Defender ST. This is the red dot we're going to be running this season. We're excited about it. This thing's built like a tank, super lightweight, super long battery life, everything you need in a good turkey red dot. And if you want to get a discount on that red dot or any other Vortex Optic, go to eurooptic.com and use the code SGN10 to get a discount. That's eurooptic.com, code SGN10. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar. May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you. And we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. You're listening to the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Now let's get to the episode. Presented by Hunting Exchange, a marketplace for serious hunters by serious hunters. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Today, we are doing something uh, a little bit different, a little bit fun. Uh, every once in a while, we like to do this thing where we go back and we find some key episodes that you know made a difference for some people or some episodes that we really liked and go through and kind of do a best of. Uh, and that's what we're going to do today. Uh, we did this a similar kind of thing this time last year, and we got some really good feedback on it. Um, so today we're actually going to be going and looking at a couple different listener success stories from last year. 
Uh, we've added a, a ton of people to the podcast in the last year, so thank you all for helping the show grow and everything. But because there's so many of you all that are new, uh, you probably haven't heard these episodes. We're going to go all the way back to episode 197 and 205, uh, two of our favorite listener success stories from last year. One thing about listener success stories that I really like and one thing that Jacob really likes uh, about recording them is you're getting uh, a view of obviously like a listener who's heard something on the show and figured out how to mold that to his area and actually make it work for him. And that can be a pretty powerful learning tool in and of itself because so much of this that we talk about and so much of this that that we stir over all the time on on these podcasts and you guys listening and and all this content you consume, a lot of times it's like that one thing that just makes something click and that's the difference maker. And you'll probably hear a little bit of that in some of these episodes that we're going to look at today. Uh, It's just there's that one thing that clicks for somebody and then bam, stuff starts making a little bit more sense and you can go out there and apply it to where you hunt. You know, learning along with somebody is a really powerful tool. And, you know, that's what we are trying to do. You know, we're trying to learn and get better. So that's what we're going to be doing today. Pretty excited about it. Uh, other than that, I mean, just some news. We just are rolling back in from ATA. It's, I just got home. It's 930 at night. I'm going to put this thing together real quick for you guys. Uh, ATA was pretty good. If you guys have questions about that, we can answer them. Uh, so if, if that's something of interest, y'all just let us know and, and we'll talk about it. Also... Uh, be looking Wednesday uh, on the outro. We're going to be, uh, I'm going to have a new survey on there for you guys uh, to go fill out. We're, and I'm going to tell you more about it on Wednesday, but definitely be looking for that. Uh, going to really be wanting some some feedback on some stuff from you guys. So be looking for that survey coming out this Wednesday. It'll be in the show notes and on our social media channels. Also, make sure you stay tuned for a pretty jam-up lineup of guests we have coming up this January. We've got all kinds of different folks that we've already talked to who are lining up to get on the show who are really excited about having on, guys who I think that y'all are going to really enjoy, people you've never heard before. Going to be some fun stuff, some fun conversations going forward, so make sure you are subscribed to the show if you are not already so you don't miss any of those episodes coming up. So for the first of the two episodes we got going here, it's going to be relocating and tagging a big Georgia buck with Jake Reese. This was one of our absolute favorites from last year. Jake was able to get on a a huge buck on some Georgia public land in the summertime using some uh, tactics he learned from the show. And uh, we go through this kind of cat and mouse game he had with him. It's a super interesting story, crazy story at that too. Um, Definitely a lot to be taken from it. Uh, I'm not going to spoil any of the details. I'm not going to bore you all with me talking about it. We're just going to jump right into it. So here's that first one you guys enjoy. Uh, but on this week's episode, guys, we have uh, Jake Reese on uh, from Georgia, uh, who's been a listener and uh, had success uh, chasing down a, uh, a buck that he's actually been kind of following since summertime, which is really interesting. So we're excited to hear the story and kind of see, uh, you know, kind of what played as a factor for this. But Jake, uh, how are you doing this evening, man? Oh, doing good, man. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on here. Well, we're excited to have you on. And, Jake, I've got to start this out and ask you, uh, first off, how long have you been a listener of the show? Uh, at least a year, maybe a year and a half. Um, I just happened to find y'all uh, just looking for podcasts. Uh, uh, with my work, a lot of times I have to drive uh, a little bit. And so I found y'all and started listening and uh, was learning a lot. So I just kept following along and really enjoyed the content. 
Very cool. Well, awesome. That's what I was going to ask is, you know, kind of what caused you to start listening to the podcast and have you always been like a podcast listener? Because I know I've heard some people, the reason why I say that, I've heard some people that's listened to the show like, man, I've never listened to a podcast until a buddy told me about y'all's. Yeah. And then I know <laughs> other guys that are podcast junkies like myself that, I mean, I listen to probably like 15 mm-hmm. different shows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I was probably just getting into podcasts. I mean, maybe two, three years total. I think I started out listening to meat eater and joe rogan and stuff like that a buddy got me on to them and uh just happened to find y'all and uh i think the one that i really remember that caught my attention was uh one of your first episodes with donald driver i believe uh josh um, driver oh yeah episode josh driver. sorry about that uh josh driver um but yeah just the way he figures out terrain and just looking at these little features and stuff really really intrigued me and uh that's one of the things that stuck out to me well let's i want to jump into that so josh driver we had him on uh starting uh i guess uh midway through the season last year episode 141 was the first episode we had him on and the whole topic Mm -hmm. was trying to find locate and hunt a buck's core area and a mature buck on public land and we've Mm -hmm. had a ton of listener success stories come in over the last year and a half more than any other yeah i would say from his episode yeah uh, and kind of what he had talked about which is you know interesting because uh, when you kind of look at all the episodes that we've done and that being a, one that's really hit home for a lot of guys, it, it's fascinating. And I always tell somebody, if you're a new listener to the show, that's the fir- one of the first episodes I've listened to along with Glenn Solomon, episode 116. Um, mm-hmm. But Jake, you said you listened to that episode. It really kind of hit home for you. Let me ask, what about that episode really was something that, you know, you kind of took into consideration, maybe kind of made you think outside the box of what you had thought previously? Uh, a lot with, uh, I think he talked about thermals some and just how they work in the terrain as far as how a buck moves through those areas and just kind of helped me focus on like little features to look for, like an example, like, a where to like the spot within a spot, like on a bench, like the, the very narrow point pinpointing little areas that will most likely put you in front of that deer and it just kind of that's that's what was catching my attention was the small details that he that he was so focused on and that's partly or a good bit of what helped me uh get this deer well let's so let's dig into this deer a little bit um i mean (laughs) what's the story on this thing i know that you, uh, I think you messaged us in the summertime uh, saying that you had located this thing, um, and we posted it as kind of like a listener success story, like finding the deer. You found him in the summer. So uh, how did you go about finding this buck? I mean, what was that like for you? Without even knowing it was probably the deer, I think it probably started right before turkey season, actually. Um, I was actually scouting for turkeys in this area. Came across a real, like a a huge scrape line and had some rubs and stuff that were working up along it too so i knew and and they were fairly fresh too so i knew the deer at least made it through the deer season i mean they weren't super fresh but you could tell they were within the past month or so and and so i just kind of marked that area on the map and uh came back there i want to say it was late july and uh scouted it out a little more and I actually jumped the deer, and I, I didn't know what he was, but I could just hear his antlers hitting branches and stuff. He was kind of uh, at the end of a, a small finger, and I jumped him up off the end of it. He was in a thicket. I couldn't even see him. but uh, So I moved maybe 75 yards 
down and to the left and put in a mock scrape and hung my camera up maybe seven foot or so and angled it back down. And I mean, literally the next afternoon at one or two o'clock, I believe I got pictures of him on it, checking it out. So I take it that was probably him that I jumped up. So I, I knew that that was his, probably his little area to kind of focus on. And, and from there, I just kind of looked for some areas that were close to thickets kind of around there and maybe some, uh, you know, just trails and, and stuff coming out of those thickets to try to set up on and didn't really have uh, any luck with him during bow season. It was a, uh, it was a, a, a rough bow season. I wasn't seeing much, maybe a doe here and there, but just no sight of him at all. He was basically a ghost. I never saw him during, uh, during bow season. And really I didn't even, didn't even know he was in the area that I killed him in until he literally popped out. He was just a, a ghost between the time I got pictures of him and, and from, uh, the time I got him. Well, um, so before we go any further, I got to ask, uh, what, can you describe the woods that, you, that you're hunting in a little bit? Like are cutovers pretty common? Uh, are you, are you hunting like a big closed canopy hardwood forest? I mean, what's the setting here? So where I originally found him was probably more of a closed canopy. It was planted pines, but there was, uh, they were planted probably, you know, 50 acre tracks or so. So you had some different age classes of pines and, and basically hardwood fingers and, and draws and creek bottoms and stuff around there. But the, uh, the pines for the most part, they were probably 20 years Plus, I know big enough to get a get a get a climber in or something, and so it, it was pretty mature forest. And where I ended up getting him was fairly close to the same kind of habitat. It was close canopy hardwoods and uh, previously probably thin pines that were it'd probably been five or six years since they'd been thin, so it was pretty thick where he came out of. A lot of sweet gums and blackberries and smilax and stuff like that. Just thick nasty stuff was uh with when you initially I'll, I'll i'll phrase the question this way where you initially found him and where you ended up killing him like the cover and in, in the like the the forest cover in those spots mm-hmm. were they like an anomaly for the area or or were they like like if if you have a a thousand acre yeah. tract and there's a bunch of cutovers all over it and you killed him in a cutover you like cutovers pretty mm-hmm. common but it was it like something out of the ordinary or was it kind of you know, something that was pretty common throughout the area. Um, it was it was pretty common throughout the area. Um, I would say probably where I got him, it was just it was a pain in the butt to get to. Not particularly far off the road, but you had to walk a long ways to get around these thickets to get in there. Is pr- probably why the area was a little better than than the rest. But you know, it, it still looked consistent comparable to to the habitat around me it's just uh the way it laid out it was kind of hard to get to so he was more of it was more of like a barrier between uh like the access and the deer than it was distance it was more like difficult to get to because of the thickets there yes exactly um where he was originally at though it it wasn't too bad there was more there was more pockets of thickets kind of what led me to go to this other area was uh, the, actually the hunting pressure and how easy it was to get back there where he originally was. So I, I knew a lot of people hunted that area, and 
especially when rifle season opens, it's like opening the floodgates over there. And <laughs> I knew he probably wouldn't hang around there too long. I, I knew it was just a matter of time before he got pushed out. Um, and I just happened to guess the right direction he went. So, <laughs> But before that, I mean, or at least leading up to him being over there, I did scout out that area ahead of time and, and found good signs from other deer and saw other smaller bucks and a lot of does. So I just knew with it being the rut and stuff that when I got him, um, eventually a, a good buck would probably show up to, to kind of tend and check all those does in the area. How far did he relocate uh, from summer to fall? Um, he was, it was over a mile. Um, it, it's from the spot or the pin where I got him on camera to where I shot him was well over a mile. Wow. Really? Yeah. Now, yeah. Was it like a, like a different, uh, did he relocate to a totally different kind of cover or was he just avoiding like, like did he switch from like, uh, like hardwoods to like thicker pines or, or like more, uh, like brambles to grasses or stuff like that? Like, did he switch cover types or was it the same kind of stuff, but just more difficult access? Uh, both. He, uh, the, the cover he was in, um, in the summertime was probably more, more like just sweet gums with with fewer brambles and and blackberries and stuff in it the stuff he was in when i shot him was more more viney and and uh harder to to walk through it was basically you just about couldn't walk through it unless you found a trail to go down and the topography was a lot rougher too so i imagine it was it was probably a combo of 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 both pressure lacking in that area and uh just harder access hey jake you, you were talking about how episode 141 with josh driver uh was something that you know really impacted you <clears throat> and you were talking <clears throat> about how he kind of focuses on you know uh topography to try to find like these kind of hubs that these deer are staying in <clears throat> how did that kind of relay to like the area and the habitat that you're hunting in and the terrain i mean was that something that was like you could once you kind of listen to him is that something that when you started looking at the map, you're like, okay, this looks like a spot that is probably close to what he's talking about that kind of has the diversity along with the habitat and the terrain type that maybe there is that mature buck there? I mean, is that something that kind of hit home for you or was it something separate? Yeah, it did. So uh, it was actually probably a prototypical hub that you that you hear everyone talk about or wagon wheel. It was a little creek drainage that, that kind of got pretty wide in a spot and, and had a lot of white oaks and red oaks and stuff in it. And it had all these uh, little draws and fingers kind of dropping down into it. And up on top of these ridges... Um, was just a lot of thick cover. I mean, just super thick. You just about can't even walk through. You just about had to crawl through it. And so I guess it was it's just compounding features. Just a lot of stuff was going on for this area that really stuck out to me. Um, across from it was, was pretty steep. Um, there's some areas on that ridge where <laughs> sitting in my stand across from it, I was looking up at deer. So it was... It was a little more unusual for the area overall as far as uh, topography. It was a little more extreme, I guess, con compared to the other stuff around. And it just seemed like the deer were just holding up in there. There wasn't really a lot of people messing with them. But yeah, it was just uh, kind of the wagon wheel effect. There was all these uh, different draws and, and fingers that were running down into this area. And just found the fresh sign where they were 
crossing this creek going back and forth between uh thickets and uh, a lot of food in between the two thickets too so they, so they didn't have to go far for food yeah so it definitely does sound like a really good like compounding feature and i think josh talks about you know these areas kind of like what you're talking about it's like a big social hub uh, where you have yeah. you know multiple different ridge points kind of dropping down to the central point that you know there might be different doe family groups throughout the different ridges and that's one place that a buck can cruise and kind of check them all out at one time um, and then you're talking about having the thick the thick uh, you know terrain or uh, topography on you know one side along with the mm-hmm. diversity of food and thick cover I mean it sounds like a money spot uh, and it's probably a spot that you can go to year after year and, and probably k- kill mature bucks there every year um, which is exciting. So that, that's something that's really kind of mm-hmm. cool. Now, let, let me ask, did, um, just from his episode, uh, this, I'm very interested. When I hear guys that talk about, like, his episode, it, it always fascinates me uh, because his episode had probably some of the fastest <laughs> success stories I've ever seen where we had two listeners kill two huge bucks. Uh, <laughs> that, so that episode came out on a Monday. That Saturday, two listeners Listen to the episode and apply his tactics, and both killed giant deer uh, <laughs> using his tactics. So that's why I'm very interested to everybody we talked to mm-hmm. about this episode. Um, when him kind of talking about the diversity, the habitat, terrain type, and and kind of like these social hubs uh, for like rut hunting, was that something that previously, kind of with your background and everything, is that something that you previously you know focused on, or is that something that maybe wasn't as big of a focus beforehand? I mean, it was a little bit, but. I, I, I guess I probably didn't put as much thought into it until probably this this year, maybe last year. I started trying it out some, and and I think I, the little bit that I did do was just kind of subconsciously. But once I heard him talking about it, it really just kind of started clicking as far as like these little features to look for, like just reading the even just on a map, reading how the bends in the creek or or river and and you could probably, you know, pinpoint where crossings are going to be at and and just looking for those. I, I never really paid a lot of attention to bowls or, or hubs a lot. I, I guess I, I went more off of ju- just what I'm coming across, I guess you could say, maybe hunting a scrape or, or a, a hot rub line or something. But, but uh, I focused a whole lot more on topography and, and just those those features that he talked about especially this year Uh, so and that was something i was going to ask is um kind of about this same topic from the from the success you've had this year is this something that you can kind of see building off of you know year after year and kind of keep applying these same tactics but also maybe adding more areas like this to your database that you kind of have more areas that you can jump into where you find like these thermal and social hubs that these bucks are kind of cruising. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of go to year after year and having more success. Is that something that maybe you've kind of thought about since, especially since you've tagged out now, you told us that before we started recording, <laughs> you lucky son of a gun. Now you need to focus on some <laughs> other states to some small game. Um, That's right. But is that kind of like your mindset is like, hey, I can kind of now apply this years into the future and try to find some more areas to bounce around from to have, you know, just really high quality backup spots that you can kind of find some of these bucks? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I had some other backup places that I didn't even get a chance to go to um, this year. That's the only the only downside is uh, um, and and I might just make myself go out there and look at them anyways, uh, just to not that I haven't looked at them before, but really getting there and see what the sign looks like this time of year versus, you know, seeing it 
summertime or or turkey season or something like that uh want to see what's going on in the woods at that that point in time definitely something that i'll build off of and definitely add to my arsenal of of things to kind of help me find those pockets of deer and and just where they're hanging out well jake let's jump back into this buck so uh you you were talking about with this buck you had located him using mock scrapes and stuff um you know this summer um, and then he kind of disappeared. You weren't able to kind of relocate him. And then come gun season, you found this area that, you know, had the diversity, had kind of like that, that social thermal hub that connected a bunch of different ridge points together down this drainage. Um, you know, a lot of thick cover, steep terrain, just, you know, really nasty stuff that, you know, you thought and also found the sign that says, hey, there's a lot of probably good deer here and probably an area you can catch a mature buck in. Kind of how did the hunt play out? You know, was it the first time in that you were able to have success? And, uh, you know, kind of how did you focus on setting up in the spot in the spot? Yeah, yeah. So, originally, I'd been eyeballing this this spot on the map. I, I At the time, I just couldn't get myself to make myself go over there and hunt it because I was focused on trying to get this deer, which I rarely try to focus on one deer. It usually bites me in the butt, but... uh. I finally went over there right before muzzleloader season opened, and I actually came in a, a long ways from the other side and uh, started seeing some good sign in there. Uh, saw a few does and, and a few fresh scrapes. So the next, I guess it was opening weekend of rifle season, um, I didn't hunt there in the morning because I hadn't walked in from the other side and I wanted to go in maybe early afternoon and kind of still hunt my way to a spot and maybe do a hanging hunt. And so, um, first afternoon I kind of worked my way around through there and actually it, it's not the spot where I killed him, but it was maybe a hundred yards or so from where I did get him. But I had a pin dropped on a, a little kind of a smaller hub and actually jumped up a little maybe a little basket rack eight point and so i kept kind of working down the side of this kind of side hilling with the creek down below me and kind of opened up a little bit in this creek bottom and found i think i found maybe a fresh rub and and a scrape right at a creek crossing so i kind of set up there and come to find out from my spot i could see that there was another creek crossing maybe 50 yards down so I was kind of set up perfectly in between the two. And that afternoon I saw, had a had a seven point come off the side of that ridge across from me. And he kind of worked that creek bottom and just kept following it. And then right at dark, I had another, I, I couldn't tell what he was, but a buck came from the same spot and made a, made a scrape and used the crossing that was to my right. I could just tell it was a deer and that he had antlers. It was too dark to to shoot or anything so i let him walk and uh so it kind of confirmed that it was a pretty good central location it looked like the bucks were really working through there and so i stuck it out for a few more weeks um i'd hunt it here there i was trying not to over hunt it i guess the weekend or the day that i got him i wasn't really thrilled about going that morning it was like 70 degrees could have wore a t-shirt and i was actually thinking about going and looking at another spot that i'd been wanting to try out but it was it was probably uh, almost a two mile walk and i was a little behind so i was like you know what i'm i'm not gonna leave deer to go find deer and it's just that time of year bucks are rutting 
I knew there was does in there and I knew maybe, you know, just being in that area, hopefully a buck pushes some does out or, or catch them chasing. And so that's, that's ultimately what, what happened with him is, uh, I had a few does come off of, uh, the big tall ridge across from me. They were actually getting put bumped by a small buck that I'd seen maybe 30 minutes prior. He went back up the hill and pushed them out of the thicket up there and uh, ran them down to the creek. They kind of crossed and were just kind of on high alert. Just They'd run about 10 yards and stop and look around. It was a it was a big mature doe with two, two fawns. And so uh, they were just, you could tell they'd been dogged pretty good. And uh, all of a sudden she got, I mean directly to my left and they had stopped to eat some acorns um there's a patch of white oaks that were dropping right next to me and all of a sudden she just kind of stopped and started head bobbing looking in the thicket behind me and so i just kind of eased my head back a little further and all i could see was his tail flick and he was standing behind a big white oak tree so i, I didn't even know it was that buck at first and i didn't even know it was him till i shot him but so he steps out from behind a tree. I've already got my gun up at this point, and all I see is a scope full of antlers. So <laughs> it didn't take but a second to realize that uh, he was a shooter, and uh, I just tried not to focus on looking at his antlers. And he uh, he was grunting pretty good. I, I mean, I could hear him. I mean, I was, was probably a 45, 50-yard shot, and uh, he was just grunting and working real slow towards the doe. And uh, he finally stepped out in an opening and gave me a broadside shot and uh, squeezed off on him. He jumped straight up and maybe ran a few steps behind a tree and stopped and was just looking at the doe, had his mouth wide open. I knew I hit him and he was just standing there looking at her. And uh, he turned broadside again to start chasing her. And so I shot him again and he ran maybe 30 yards and piled up, and I still didn't know it was him, the buck that I originally had pictures of until I walked up on him. But, I mean, the first shot was maybe a high lung shot, but he was so focused on that doe that he didn't even realize that he had been shot and didn't know what was going on. So, <clears throat> luckily, he stood there and gave me a chance at a second shot to finish him off quickly. Excellent. But, uh, well, let me ask, because um, it sounded like you hunted this spot quite a bit. You know, you know, not trying mm -hmm. to overhunt, but you've been in there quite a few times. Um, oh yeah. For the for the last for this last hunt, when you actually were able to capitalize and kill that buck, mm -hmm. um, you know, what decided you to sit in that same spot, or was it the same spot on that creek crossing, or did you decide to go somewhere else? You know, kind of in that same kind of big hub. It was the same spot. What was sticking out to me was. And a hunt or two before, I'd actually went across and kind of scouted that steep ridge and, and what was going on over there. I mean, I was still finding fresh fresh sign coming out of that thicket. The creek crossings were still pretty fresh, so I knew deer were using that area still. The oak trees were just, this year's been a bumper crop for white oaks, and it was just, just raining acorns all around me, so I... I knew if I could at least get on the food, hopefully hopefully I would catch some does working through, just feeding, and then hopefully it would pique the interest of a buck and step out just to give me a give me a chance at him and and so the ridge behind me is super thick too, but it's not quite as tall or not near as tall, but it's it's a great travel corridor for them because it's it's real thick. 
it's a long ridge and the wind that I had was, it was blowing in my face. So any deer that was coming off, off of that ridge across from me and working their way into that bottom, it'd blow their scent all up into that thicket. And what kind of made me think a buck would use it is just, it was thick. Um, they could smell any deer that was down in the creek bottom without having to step out there and expose themselves unless, you know, unless it was a hot doe, which is what what got him but um it, it just the way it laid out it was a great spot for deer to basically cruise for does yeah jake and you had talked earlier about this area about kind of you know the thickness of the cover but mm-hmm. on these like ridges where it's you know it sounds you know considerably thick is it like this high stem count or is it more like just like really viney um you know kind of habitat i mean what what kind of thick are we talking about because i think the reason why i say that uh just for mm-hmm. listeners out there and for yourself you know, we talk about thick cover all the time on the show, and a lot of guests do as well. And there's like mm-hmm. different there's different versions of thick. There's like the high stem count thickness, and then you have like like the, the gr- sweet gums you mentioned earlier. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. high stem count. Yeah. And then you have like kind of like the greenbrier, uh, muscadine, mm-hmm. just just choke choked out areas in kudzu that are yeah. you know real thick that deer like to travel through. But it's just a total different type of thickness. Uh, so so what was that area like, kind of up on that those top of those ridges? Overall, I would say stem count. Um, it was loaded with sweet gums, uh, sweet gum regeneration. Um, just, I mean, dog hair thick sweet gums. And I mean, there was some some vines like muscadine and smilax, and then patches of blackberries and and, and little shrubby stuff like that. So it, it, overall, it was stem count. And then just had the other stuff mixed in there with it here and there, but uh, definitely a lot of sweet gums. Okay, perfect. Well, I'll, I want to talk about now kind of the reaction. You know, you shoot this deer. You know, kind of it sounds like it happened fairly quickly. He kind of goes down. I want to kind of go over your emotions. Like you get out of the tree, dude. What is kind of like you're going through your head as you walk up to this deer? But originally, I couldn't even see him where he fell over. I thought he had ran over the hill because I just saw him kind of plowing through the thicket, and he just disappeared. Um, so it just happened. He, that's where he fell over behind a tree. So <laughs> the first thing I did was call my wife and let her know I, I'm pretty sure I just got a big one. And so I'm just, you know, trying not to climb down too early. I wanted to give him a minute. So I sat for maybe 15 minutes or so. And then I finally, because it, it's a warm morning, it was already getting up there about 70 degrees. So I didn't want him to lay too long. And I knew I had a long drag and had to get him out of there before uh, before it got too hot. So I go ahead and climb down. Um, had to run one of the fawns off. He was still standing right there in front of me while I was on the phone with my wife and climbing down. He never paid me any attention, but uh, he finally trotted off. But uh, I walk up to where I shot him and found the. I mean, I could see blood from ten, fifteen yards away. So I knew it was. I mean, it was a good blood trail. He, he didn't go far, but uh, I walk up and took maybe a few more steps, and I could see him laying over there. So I just walk over there to him, and, and then I was just like, "Holy crap, it's him!" <laughs> I was, it's like that's the one I've been after all year. I mean, I instantly looked to see how far I was, and I was like, "Holy crap, he went over a mile away." from where I originally had pictures of him. I just, I mean, I was in disbelief. I, I really did not believe that I would come across him that far away. I mean, it was just, just crazy. I mean, I felt like it was a good area for, for a mature buck, but I didn't think he, it would be him. (laughs) 
Yeah, and I'll say this deer, um, you know, ever since you sent us the trail cam photos of him on that mock scrape, you could tell that he just had some really awesome mass and a little bit of palmation as well. And, oh, yeah. Uh, and anyone that's listening to the episode right now, hopefully, uh, depending on what time you're listening to this, um, you know, hopefully we've got the Facebook and Instagram post up so you can actually go see this deer. And, I mean, it is a, it is a super impressive buck. And, and Jake, I mean, this, like, kind of is one side that's definitely got some palmation that this, I mean, he just looks wicked. Um, and I, l- l- did, let me ask, did you get him aged or, you know, um, you know? Um, I haven't looked at his teeth yet. I'm going to look at him tomorrow originally during i mean it's hard to tell their age during the summer but i was thinking just from his way his body was shaped i really thought he was maybe just an awesome three-year-old once i got looking at him i mean he was kind of i mean he wasn't a heavy deer at least for the area he was maybe 160 170 pounds max but i just kind of got looking at him and he was real bony in the hips and i mean super gray in the face just kind of i mean he just had this what he had the frame but he just didn't have the weight on him anymore and i thought maybe it was just due to him rutting pretty hard but the more i looked at him i mean he seemed like he's he's pretty pretty mature deer because he still had that saggy belly and a sway back he just did not have have the weight on him anymore um so i think he was probably an older deer on probably past his prime i definitely i'll i'll know tomorrow when i look at his jaw and i can give y'all an update on that yeah that'd be yeah definitely i'd love to see how old he was well awesome uh andrew do you have any questions no dude just congratulations what a freaking awesome buck man uh hopefully i can i can get one like that in the next two or three weeks (laughs) yeah man i I appreciate it i appreciate y'all having me on here and i mean hopefully this helps some guys find those bucks out there and get them a good one yeah and i'm going to actually i want to ask you jake kind of one last question uh we've had a lot of new listeners tune into the show over the last six months and you know for the new listeners out there um you know what advice or what what would you recommend when it comes to the podcast and some of these episodes and kind of like you know you've been listening for a year year and a half now Mm -hmm. you know you've listened to most likely a ton of episodes and there's a lot that comes at you and you know some guys are similar tactic wise other guys are completely different what 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 a piece of advice would you give those people that are listening to the show that maybe are overwhelmed with it uh, for them to maybe find something that would stick with them that they could go out and use on their local piece of public land yeah yeah try not to let the information overload get to you pick Pick the style that you really like. You don't have to, to you know, try to incorporate everything every hunt. Um, just find the things that that interest you, the style of hunting you want to do. I did use, you know, a few different tactics from different people. Sol- Glenn Solomon, um, I know he talked a lot about thickets and stuff. And I mean, I definitely use that as well, looking for thick areas that would hold deer. But just enjoy it. Have fun the main part of it just just go out there and scout find the hot sign and uh sorry there's actually a, a buck running a doe right here in my backyard dude come on he's a video <laughs> man <laughs> 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 kind of caught me off guard there but yeah um just try to enjoy it um there's a lot of public land out here um don't let it get to you if you don't see anything at first these deer do get pressured and um just stick with it um, I mean, it can change in the blink of an eye. I mean, I, all bow season, I maybe saw three deer. I changed spots, 
and instantly was on them. I mean, they were they were deer all in this area. So it's uh, it's definitely just don't let it kind of get to you. Just pick the things that that interest you as far as the style of hunting you like to do. I mean, the easiest thing. I mean, really thickets and food. That was easy easiest way I can put it. <laughs> All right, hope you guys enjoyed that one with Jake. All right, so let's move on. Now we're getting to North Carolina Mature Buck with Perry Bundy. This was episode 197 from last year. Perry killed an absolute stud of a North Carolina buck last year, and uh, we kind of dove into how he got into it along with his his mentors. We kind of dive into how he utilized stuff, not only from the show, but also his mentors and uh, his is, you know, he, we talk a lot about being able to absorb some of that advice and putting it to good use. Cause I don't know about y'all, but a lot of times with me, you know, I get all this good advice every week from the people that we interview. And sometimes I do have problems like absorbing that and actually taking it to heart. So he's got some good tips on that in here. And then there's just also a whole bunch of other stuff that we hit on like scrape tactics, trail camera tactics, reading the sign, you know, which sign he set up on, just a lot of interesting stuff and, and really pertinent stuff if you're like us and you're chasing the rut right now. It's just getting hot where you're at. Uh, so a lot of this stuff is going to apply really, really well to where you're hunting. So definitely looking forward to jumping into this one. So I'm going to quit talking about it and just kick it right over. So here's a North Carolina Mature Buck with Perry Bundy, episode 197. Houndstooth Game Calls is your home for turkey calls this spring. Go check them out. They got all the classic turkey calls. You know, they got the pot calls and the box calls and the mouth calls, but they also got a couple really interesting calls. One of them is called the, the success call, and you just need to go look it up. It's very, it's like a box call that you can work with one hand. It's really, really cool. Sounds incredible. They also got the Spur Master, which is another very unique call that you can get some really unique, clean tones out of. They're going to help you out this turkey season. Use the promo code SOP24 to get 15% off of your order at Houndstooth Game Calls. That's SOP24. Use it at checkout. It helps the podcast. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of our Listener Success Stories. It's a little, I guess, bonus episode series we are now doing uh, as we're getting these Listener Success Stories coming to us through Instagram and Facebook. Uh, and for this week's episode, we actually have a listener on the show, uh, Mr. Uh, Perry Bundy from North Carolina. Perry, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. Awesome, brother. Well, hey, glad to have you on. Andrew could not join us just because of some technical issues. This hurricane's really put a uh, 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 damper on our setup. Uh, it's kind of hard to record when we have power outages. So I'm actually in the mobile hunting, uh, mobile recording <laughs> studio, aka the Tundra, uh, knocking this podcast out. So hopefully audio sounds pretty good. But uh, man, there's cables everywhere. But man, Perry, I'm excited to talk to you, man. Uh, if anyone's seen the Facebook and Instagram posts um, by the time this episode has dropped, they've seen the photos of your buck, but they <clears> haven't yet. Man, you killed one excellent. I mean, dude, I, again, as me and Andrew would say, it is a big rack buck uh, from off the game lands <laughs> of uh, North Carolina. So congratulations with that. But kind of thank you, dude. To kick us off, I'm excited to hear about your story <laughs> because it's really interesting, man. A lot of guys that we talk to, you know, just have you know, years of experience and you're, you're very different, which is exciting because, yes. you know, having success early on is, is awesome. But man, the hit is off, Perry. What is your background? How did you get into deer hunting and how long have you been deer hunting? So I have not been hunting my entire life. Um, basically I just started, well, this year, um, last year I had, had a buddy at work named Mickey Leopard. He, uh, 
he he kind of he heard me talking about maybe getting some deer meat for the refrigerator and he had some private property up where he lives and i said well you know sure that'd be pretty cool so we went up there and he he's kind of uh got a nice little spot he's he's cultivated it pretty good he put me on a on what i thought was a doe <laughs> i shot it and you know when we walked up on it it was a spike so that was that was my first lesson in deer hunting um then i had another friend reach out to me he's actually the guy that that put put me on you guys um his name is hunter peg his was kind of more residential we kind of went to like a little cul-de-sac area and i killed a, a little button buck last year i mean nothing to brag or write home about but they ate good and uh they kind of kind of got me started kind of getting the, the flame going i had fished my entire life like that's what i used to do i used to fish probably three or four times <laughs> three or four times a week uh used to guide a little bit up here in trout water and things like that and for whatever reason last fall like my mind just switched and i, I wanted to i wanted to deer hunt and i got a little bit of acre behind my house and threw a patrol camera just to see what i could see and i started seeing deer and then kind of got the itch to go on game run because i heard it was hard um <laughs> <laughs> i heard it was hard and i heard it was you know everybody at work or you know, i work up in uh, mitchell county so where i'm where i'm hunting is, is up in the mountains and everybody talks about game land because we have a very low deer density up here um I, I couldn't tell you what it is per square acre but i know it's low but the rumor is is if you do get a good deer or if you do if you do the work there's actually really good deer on public land and uh that kind of got me kind of got me interested and I, I just wanted to see if i could do it my goal for this year was to scout as much land as i possibly could and maybe by deer season put myself into like a, a location or a tree <clears throat> and see a good deer during daylight i know <laughs> my interpretation of a good deer and your listeners is going to be completely different because i've seen some of the studs they killed and uh <laughs> i might not see that so a good deer would just be something that i'd be like all right that's a good deer i mean it could be 100 inches 120 doesn't really matter just the point that I put myself in a position where I can see him during daylight. Um, to be honest, this time last year, so this time October last year, I had no idea what a rub was. I had no idea what a scrape was. Um, I could kind of tell you what a deer trail was, but other than that, I literally had no idea what I was doing. Um, some of the things that I do have in my favor, though, was uh, I got a little bit of military background. And I can read the topo map pretty good. So I can read and, and kind of identify some of the spots on the map that you guys talked about so much, you know, benches, saddles. I, I understand that lingo. And I can look at a topo map and kind of kind of tell what you guys are talking about. So as time went on, and I, I scouted further and further into game land. You know, I, I would be like, all right, well, this is a saddle. They say, you know, deer should travel here or or this terrain edge here, because I, I look on Google Earth and I, I see where a fire had happened or some type of, there's there's a difference. So you got a terrain edge. So maybe go take a look at that. And just since January, really, I started scouting game land and I would just mark off areas that didn't have it or I would drop pins that had deer activity. And I had some really good mentors, uh, dudes I worked with and some friends, you know, that I could bounce ideas off of and, you know, there's one guy at work, his name's Jay Barnett. <laughs> he probably got sick and tired of me sending him photos because, you know, <laughs> I got out in the woods in like, January and I, 
I'd see a rub on a tree. I'm like, hey, man, look at this rub. And he's like, dude, that's a woodpecker. That's a rotten tree. You know, you're an idiot. <laughs> so so that kind of happened. And, and just just things like that, man. And uh, just getting out and beating feet, really. Yeah. Well, the cool thing is, is your story – you know, is different from a lot of other guys that we've talked to. And that's one thing when you wrote your listener success story to us and it said, you know, Hey guys, thanks for the podcast and everything else. And I was asking you some questions about it. It was just fascinating because with your lack of just years experience, how much you were able to pack into literally in just a matter of months, you know, after that first season to get yourself prepared for this season and go out and kill a really good deer. I mean, a big deer. Like I said earlier, it's a big rat <laughs> buck, dude. Um, I appreciate it. And I think you were talking about earlier, it's a, it's a 12 point and this is a, a fantastic buck. And especially, you know, being your first rack deer that you kill, being something of that caliber coming off game land, public land in North Carolina, in an area, like you said, that has low deer numbers, you know, it, it's not like you just lucked into that. And we're going to get down into, you know, breaking down this hunt because yes, the story is really fascinating, really interesting. Again, a guy like yourself who, you know, have like the military background. So you kind of using maps to your advantage and understanding how to read, you know, topo maps and kind of seeing aerial maps, but mm-hmm. putting the woodsmanship into learning sign and understanding sign along with trail camera use allowed you to kill that deer, which is, I mean, just awesome. I mean, it's making the luck for you. And that's exactly what it sounded like you yeah. did. You didn't just sit somewhere you know, hoping a deer was going to come by, you had an idea of what was going to happen, and we're about to break that down. Uh, and I, <laughs> I hope, I hope there's listeners out there, and we have had a lot of guys reach out to us that are very new into deer hunting, and hopefully your story can resonate with them, <clears throat> and they can maybe learn from what you personally have gone through to maybe go out and have success themselves. Uh, because it's just exciting to see guys like yourself go out there, have success, not even just have success killing deer, but kill really good deer, and can hopefully now you can map this out in the future of how to continue to grow off what you've learned in the last few months, uh, which is fantastic. And I want to ask Perry to kind of okay. jump us into this, you know, what were some of the episodes from the show that kind of hit home for you that you could kind of start using along with like your mentors and everything else to start applying mm-hmm. to where you're hunting out there in North Carolina. So, so one of the benefits of y'all's podcast is you guys talk to guys who actually hunt areas like me. Um, the Appalachian Mountains. I'm, I'm hunting between 25 and 35, uh, 100 feet elevation, um, rhododendron thickets, laurel thickets, just god awful stuff. And uh, if if how I learned, you know, the scrapes and stuff like that was not only like people talking to me, but like your podcast and like the hunting public and Catman, and I, I binged all that. Like I, I just I was a sponge. I listened. I just I paid attention and I tried to. Like if one of the one thing Catman talked about was like acorns, for example, how you can see the notch in the acorns. Nobody had ever taught me that. So whenever I seen, you know, oaks dropping, I would look and say, Well, there's a notch, that's what he's talking about. Or or like uh I forget who it is. I think it was either Nathan or or the other guy who was talking about laurel thickets and and how, how you need to tuck up into them laurel thickets and pay attention to the laurel thickets. Uh I wasted a lot of time earlier in the season kind of slapping up cameras in, in hardwoods with those trails and stuff. And, and when I heard that podcast, I need to tuck up into them rhododendrons and actually pay attention to like the thick stuff as opposed to, you know, the wide open stuff. I, I started seeing a little bit more deer, um, on, on trail cameras. Uh, there was another person on his podcast. I, I forget the names. I'm really bad with names, but he was talking about having, whenever he puts a camera on the scrape, he'll put it in video mode. And for this 12 point, it was super helpful because it would give me, it would give me, 
it would show me exactly what direction he walked in and what direction he walked off and which kind of kind of way he was going and i was able to pattern him from that um i had photos of him coming in to eat acorns and then i could pretty much track where he went and then uh right before daybreak i would see him hit the scrape and he kind of go off into the laurel so I, i started to develop a pattern with him and kind of put a plan in place and it, it all worked out well. yeah to kind of back up a little bit you know coming okay. into your first full season you know kind of getting more well equipped um you know having more knowledge under your belt just from what you kind of you know just kind of surrounded yourself by over the last you know six eight nine months as long as you've been trying mm-hmm. to find this information and, and trying to learn from it from all the different yeah. sources um you know when it comes to applying it out there first off what was some of the things you were having challenges with, you know, being a newer hunter, trying to go out there and find the sign and figure out, you know, in an area that you talk about having low deer numbers, trying to find an area that was actually holding deer. And what were some of those distractions you were kind of following yourself, you know, falling into really? Oh uh, man, what sucks is like, since I'm a new hunter and, and I don't really have any experience out in the woods, like the, the chunk of public land that I hunt is, is massive. Like it's, it's pretty big. Um, so just a starting point, like, where do you start? All right. So what do I look for? So I listen to your podcast, kind of bounce off some other ideas off some dudes I work with at work. Um, give me just a couple of checkpoints that I can kind of, kind of look at. So I'll, I'll look at the topo map. I'll drop a pin. I'll be like, all right, I need to take a look here, like saddles or benches or anything different. And I'll kind of cross check that on Google earth and, and see like, well, is there, is there some type of difference in terrain? Do I have hardwoods going into spruce or, or hemlock or, or rhododendron and it goes into hardwoods? I might need to take a look at this. So those are those are kind of the, the things that I started keying into. As far as like the frustrating stuff, um, earlier on, like January, February, um, I'd found some scrapes. Uh, due to work that works with me. I brought him out and I was like, is this a scrape? And he said, yeah, that's a scraper. No, that's not a scrape. So whenever he, he showed me that, yes, that was indeed a scrape, I'd put up a camera and, and kind of take a look at it. And, uh, you know, I, I was thinking I was the best hunter alive, but <laughs> in all reality, you know, they were coming in at like three o'clock in the morning, which means they're nowhere close. And mm-hmm. you guys kind of helped me with that because, you know, not time sign. I would not have known that had I not paid attention to y'all or, or, you know, a couple of the other dudes that I, that I follow, but, that that was pretty important um and just having good mentors just just people that you that you know you can that you can talk to about it like uh there's a old man at work his name's tim beaver he's killed a whole lot of deer and i'd, I'd pull up a i'll pull up my topo map i'm like i think i, I think this would be a pretty good spot and he'd be like you know he kind of sigh and move my finger over a little bit and <laughs> drop a penny so you should check this out and then, you know we just did that for couple weeks couple months and then started actually finding deer well so you started scouting this summer i'm i'm guessing correct you started just running trail cameras how did you start applying trail cameras out there what were you focusing on in on you know kind of being a newer you know newer at this and then how did you transition to actually locating that buck okay so the 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 most obvious thing for me because i'm i don't know what i'm doing is the easiest thing for me to find was scrapes so if I found a scrape and it looked like a good scrape, there was a lot of deer trails around it. Like, uh, I forget who, who it was who was talking about the, the wheel and then the hub, and you had trails going in. 
if I found if I found that, I'd put up a, a camera and I'd kind of see what's in there. And if, if it wasn't anything that I was really interested in, because my whole goal was to lock down a good buck on public land, and I think I would do something, or I think that I would have accomplished something. So I marked off a lot of land that I just call like a dead area. Now they might have like little sixes, little fours. I was looking for a mature deer. That's all I wanted to see. It was just a mature deer in daylight to get myself in position. So I I would check these ridges. I would check the finger ridges. I would check, you know, breaks in laurel and stuff like that. And I just marked off, I crossed off a lot of land. Um, it's probably been... If it's not every weekend, then it's every other weekend. I've been out scouting just different game lands around, trying to find the best sign. Because, you know, your, your listeners will probably laugh at me, but if it's not super obvious, then I'm not going to see it. So one of the things that a couple of your guests have had on talk about feed trees and, and how you'll know whenever you find a feed tree, like uh, especially with low low deer population. So I found a couple. I found this flat area on, on top of a ridge, and uh, it, it was like no joke. There was it, it looked like somebody had plowed through it. There was it's like a forty to fifty yard like little square, and it's <clears throat> basically the only opening in this rhododendron thicket. And this is like really old rhododendron, like you know uh, about as big as your thigh at the base, and it just kind of branches out. And it's got some trails that cut through it, so it is walkable. It's not like a true thicket. Dudes that hunt up here will know what I'm talking about, but you know it was it was the only opening, and there was just so much deer sign. Even a dummy like me <laughs> can see like there there are deer in here. Um, so I was kind of kind of looking around in that area. I put up a camera on the tree with the most sign, and then I just kind of walked around and zigzagged my way through, and and found a a deer trail that went to this just gigantic laurel, or not laurel, but rhododendron. And it had what what appeared to be a fresh grape. Um, <clears throat> this was like mid-August, and there was already like urine in the scrape. So I went ahead and put up a camera on that one too, and then went about my merry way and checked it about two weeks later. Um, <clears throat> where I went up and got to the flat, uh, <laughs> right basically on the path that I take to get up there, there was a gigantic rub. It was probably from my knee to my lower rib. And it was just, it was huge. And I said, okay, I might have something. So I didn't hunt that area that day. I kind of went around somewhere else and hunted, switched out the trail, uh, the, the cards, left, left, left the trail cameras, and then went home. And then that night I, I seen, I seen the 12. I thought, oh boy, <laughs> I've got something here. Yeah, so you check trail cameras, and again, you kind of had two different cameras, one set up more so like on that feeding flat where, you know, there's oaks yep. and stuff they're feeding on. The other camera being adjacent to it, kind of going towards the rhododendron kind of thicket, you yep. know, where they're kind of going back through some cover. Um, when you got him on camera at the time, uh, which, you know, y'all season normally comes in like on the 10th of September, is that correct, or a little bit later than that? I think so. I'm, I'm not 100% but, sure. I think it's like the second Saturday or something. Yeah, so, you know, early to mid-September season kind of comes yeah. in. Uh, when you're checking cameras, uh, that time span uh, that he was coming through there, you know, was that <clears> this like late October or late August time span, or, or was that a little bit into um, September? <clears throat> so I had him I had him in Nakers, Um I think it was like the last week of August. I've got a photo of him just, just kind of, 
mulling around eating acorns. As far as the scrape, I think he started hitting the scrape late first weekend of the second week of, of September. It was kind of surprising to me about them actually paying attention to the scrapes. So that, that was something that was kind of surprising because I figured it would be a little bit later on, but they, they were hitting it. I've got a video of it. <laughs> well, well, okay. So, you again, you had him on two different cameras, you know, in this one mm-hmm. area. So you had a pattern on him. What were you learning from, you know, how he was coming into those spots from your, you know, cameras, both on video and also on just photo mode? Uh, okay. So the acorn flat was probably – maybe 60 to 70 yards away from the scrape. Um, I would get him coming into the acorns right at dusk. And then basically right before sunup, maybe maybe 30 minutes to an hour before sunup, he will come and freshen up the scrape. Uh, he would hit the licking branch. He would kind of kick a little bit and then, you know, just kind of, kind of walk off. But I could tell, you know, what direction he was going um, off the scrape and kind of his general area and what trail he was taking off that scrape. So that, that kind of helped too. So you get this information and you kind of get this, you know, realization of this deer's coming through there. Is he working that area when you were checking that first camera pull? Was he working the area during daylight hours or actually, well, you just answered that. No, you were saying he was coming through, um, yeah. feeding in the evening in that one spot on, uh, by the feed trees and then coming by the scrape, you know, right before sun up. So, okay. At what point did you decide, let me go try to kill this deer and play a move on him? And what did you get him on the first <laughs> trip in, or did it take a couple trips before you actually got him? Um, well, no, honestly, that was, uh, I, I'd say it was my first time hunting that area. What, what I was trying to do, instead of hunting a specific deer, because I really thought that I had no shot at, at that 12. So what I did is I have several in that location, I had several shooter deer, what I would consider a shooter deer, that 12 being the top. I had like a crab claw nine and then a, let's see, a, a pretty wide eight. And any of those three, you know, I'd, I'd been perfectly tickle pink with. So I wasn't specifically hunting that deer. And and the game plan that I came up with was, was to put myself into the best position to see, you know, one of those three deer and basically it was the best the best weekend i had you know it was a little bit of a cold front moving through it was the first real cold front we had up here and it was a new moon and some of the boys at work were talking about new moons not being so great to hunt but you know you look on you look on the internet and they'll be like new moon's great new moon's terrible so it, it all depends it's, it's whatever but i kind of took that one guy's mentality um, I forget who he was, but he said, you know, if I have an opportunity to hunt, I'm going to go in there and make the wind work for me. So this location <clears throat> from the parking lot is like 4.3 miles GPS. So when I make the decision to go in there, I'm just going to make the wind work for me because the wind's going to do whatever it does on the mountain. I, I don't fully understand thermals. I don't fully understand all, all that type of stuff, but I, I do know that whenever I did get up to the flat, the wind was going straight up the mountain. So this oak flat that I'd planned on hunting, um, this was Saturday. There was a cold front moving in. It was a new moon. I got in there around 1 o'clock because I didn't want to bump him out because, uh, you know, you're, you're moving into his feeding area. I didn't want to bump him out that morning because I'd basically have to walk right past the scrape to get to that feeding area. So I kind of took a risk there. And the second risk I took was <clears throat> my, my setup. So if you can think of a square, 
I put my tree stand, my little saddle up in, in the top left corner of that square, the square being the oak flat. All around that square, in any direction, could be potential bedding because it is absolutely thick and nasty rhododendron. Um, so the plan that I made whenever I got up to the, to the crest of the ridge um, was I'm just going to, I'm going to sacrifice that back corner. So I'm going to, I'm going to go up to that back corner, have my wind blowing straight up the mountain and just sacrifice the rhododendrons behind me. And hopefully I'll get them or another deer coming into these acorns <clears throat> where I've had them on camera, you know, coming in right at dusk. So that, that was kind of the risk that I took. So you go in with that mindset and you said this is over four miles back there. It's 4.3 GPS. Oh, man. I, I can send you the Garmin. So Dude. You don't believe it. I, I, got, I got GPS for it. Oh, we, we uh, man. <laughs> so any, anyone that's listened to the show, by the way, this is a little segue, and we're going to get back to this. Um, if, if you're not on the Running Gun Whitetail Hunters page, it's a pay, it's a group that uh, me and Andrew have run for a few years now, but uh, shared on there, it was a meme from um, uh, Timber Ninja uh, uh, Stand Company. Um, and they had a meme talking about when you kill, you know, when you – knock down a, a good buck you know over four miles in and it's that uh the meme of that cat you know with a wild eye on his face and it's like a it's a military scene from like the vietnam war and uh and i'm like dude well, the we'll sec- get to that because i had that moment <laughs> I, was gonna, I was gonna say i was gonna say yeah the realization when you have to know you have to get them out and i'm like dude four plus miles that's dude, that is that is no freaking joke but anyways we're about to get to that but okay so sure. you go to the spot Yes, you know, you have the wherewithal to understand that, you know, all this whole area, talking like this square, the way you described it, you know, there's bedding everywhere. Because you're going to sacrifice a corner of it with the wind when you get yeah. to it just so you could have, you know, the other, quote, unquote, kind of four corners to your advantage. Yeah. You get set up, you know, early afternoon um, and, and kind of just walk us through the hunt. Like, you know, what kind of okay. happened? How did it break down? <clears throat> so y'all, y'all talk about terrain edges all the time. Well, I got a wicked terrain edge. So you have hard edge, you have hard ones like red oaks, white oaks, and I think chestnut oaks. Somebody can go up there and say, and they'll probably be like, you're, you're a dummy. You know, that's not. Ch- I know white oak and I know red oak and then some gigantic acre and that was fun. But um, it's 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 an incredible terrain edge <clears throat> because all around that oak flat is just that thick, nasty laurel. Anyway. I go ahead and I climb up into the tree. Um, I can see, like, in front of me from the saddle, I've got all, I've got the majority of the oak flat that I can see. I've got trails coming into my, from my right, out of laurel and kind of just scrub bush. I don't know what it's called, but it's just some thick, nasty crap. <clears throat> so I'm sitting there in the saddle. It's probably three o'clock whenever I get in there, four o'clock. A uh, little yearling bear comes through, and he's just stuffing his, <laughs> stuff his face with, with some acorns, and, you know, that's pretty cool to watch. And uh, I'm sitting in my saddle, and I kind of <laughs> – your listeners are going to laugh, but I was sitting in like a, like a seven-year-old in a tire swing, and I was just kind of swinging back and forth. And uh, I heard some movement behind me, you know. So I kind of kind of look behind me, and I – I'm looking in this thick laurel that's directly behind me, and all of a sudden I see the back end of a deer, and I think, good grief, that's a huge deer. <laughs> so I went ahead and I grabbed, I grabbed my crossbow. Now, before your listeners judge me, uh, I do shoot a crossbow because I did not have time to learn how to bow hunt, 
Um, that was one of the things I kind of decided was I don't want to make a bad shot with a bow. I know how to shoot a rifle. So the crossbow kind of transitions well. And uh, I just I just decided this year uh, I'll shoot a crossbow until I actually learn how to shoot a bow. Oh, yeah. Listen, yeah. On, on that segue, dude, I, I have <laughs> absolutely no issues with crossbows. I know there's other guys out there that do, and that's, you know, everybody can have their own opinion. My thing is, especially for a new hunter, it, it gets you out there where you can yeah. you can set the house, you can practice shooting, you get consistent with it, and then yeah. it's just one less thing you have to worry about while you're out there. And, and again, as long as you're willing to carry one in the woods, I mean, have fun with it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but, but I mean, I was, well, that's one thing I was going to ask actually earlier on because I knew you killed this during archery season is whether or not you were able to actually learn to shoot a bow in that short time mm-hmm. span. Uh, but, again, you know, be able to have a crossbow and be able to go out there and have those opportunities, I mean, that's just awesome because it opens up more opportunities for you and be able to, you know, hunt more ethically than, you know, maybe yeah. getting a bow and, you know, coming apart and, and, you know, wounding a deer. Yeah, that was kind of my whole reasoning behind it because I did not have the time to, <clears throat> to dedicate to being an archer, you know, and, and, and my whole thing is I want to make an ethical shot. I want it to drop. So I decided, you know, I'll go ahead and get the crossbow. And I'm still not 100% sure, like, this is going to be my thing. So I didn't spend a lot of money on this crossbow is like the base model PSE. It's a coalition. It's like 300 bucks. So I went ahead and I grabbed my crossbow. Kind of going back to the story now. I just see this back half. <clears throat> There's one opening directly behind me. So as I spin around in my saddle, my back's up against the tree where my platform is. And I'm looking directly into a rhododendron thicket. And he steps out. And I see, I see his horns. And I'm like, okay, that's a shooter. You know, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and and take a shot on this if I'm, if I'm able. So I look up above my scope and make sure I got a good shooting lane. I go back down. And as soon as I, as soon as I put the crosshairs on the shoulder, like I see him doing the head bob that they do whenever they see it. So I'm like, ah, oh, crap, man, he's on me. And then I feel the wind on the back of my neck. So I'm like, I have to make this shot now. So I go ahead and make a good shot. Uh, I pull the trigger. I hear that. With the hunting public, I always talk about that drum sound, hmm. and I see him. I see him mule kick. Well, I made two mistakes here. <clears throat> I, well, first mistake is I did not pay close enough attention to when he was running. So all the new hunters that are listening, like when you take that shot, pay attention to where he's running, and also know that whenever you get down out of that tree stand, everything's going to look different. Mm-hmm. So I was able to follow him about fifteen yards before he just disappeared in Laurel. I could hear him running maybe 40, 50 yards, and then I heard him absolutely So I was like, all right, here we go. You know, I finally, you know, I did it, you know, celebration mode. Um, I know that everybody says you're supposed to wait like 30, 40 minutes before you go out of the tree and, and check the bolt. I probably waited like 15. I couldn't stand it. I was vibrating. I just knew that whenever <laughs> – I was like, here we go. So as soon as I walked down, you know, I'm, I'm expecting to see my bolt covered in blood. I'm expecting to see a blood trail. I'm expecting to walk 40, 50 yards and see this whatever deer I shot, you know, just laying there dead. Beautiful. Well, that is not what happened. So whenever I got out of the tree, I walked to the spot that I thought I shot, and I started looking. I was like, I have no idea. If this is where I shot. So I like looked up at the saddle because my stuff's still in the tree, you know, my backpack and everything else is still up in the tree. And I'm kind of like looking at the tree, looking at the spot, looking at the tree, looking at the spot. 
So I think that I found the area, but I'm not finding the ball. I'm not finding a speck of blood. I'm like, holy crap, man, did I miss it? So I probably kick. <laughs> I probably, I take my, I take my shit out now. I'm kicking up leaves. I'm kicking up roots. I'm kicking, kicking stumps out of the way. I'm looking for this ball with everything I got because I shot the deer at 545. Um, sunlight's starting to fade now. Um, I'm not finding any blood. And the realization of just how far I am and how little I know is starting to set in. So, so I'm, I'm looking around and I cannot find blood. I can't find nothing. And it's starting to, starting to bother me a little bit. I make a phone call. I, I, I call a couple of my friends. I'm like, hey, you guys that actually hunt. Uh, one was Mickey. And I was sending him texts because he was hunting too. I was like, hey, man, here's what happened. I saw him mule kick. It sounded like a good shot. He's like, well, did it run uphill or did it run downhill? And I said, well, it ran uphill because there was a slight incline. And he's like, oh, no, man, that's, that's a bad sign. So then that's in my head, too. Um, so I drop a pin to where I shot him. I drop a pin to my tree stand. I call my buddy uh, that, that lives close to me, uh, Cliff Johnson. I say, hey, man, uh, I know it's about dark. I think I shot a good deer. About 90% sure I hit him. <clears throat> I can't find blood. I can't find the bolt. Can't find nothing. And you can tell he's like a little bit hesitant on, you know, coming out and helping me find it because we're so far back. And especially, you know, it's going to be nighttime. So he agrees to it. He just says, hey, just, you know, take your, take your tree stand down, take your saddle down, pack all that crap out of there. I'll meet you at the car and then we'll walk in because, you know, he doesn't know. He doesn't have the faintest idea where I'm at. So I'm going to have to pack all my stuff, 4.3 miles, back down to the car, and then walk all the way back up. And my biggest fear is, like, he's going to walk up here and immediately find the bolt with absolutely no blood. And uh, that, that was – I was – it was a roller coaster, man. So the highest of highs when I, when I shoot the deer and then the lowest of lows when I can't find blood. So I'm like, all right, man, that's what we'll do. Uh, I'll meet you in about – this probably about two and a half hours. So it's going to take me two and a half hours to get down to you. <clears throat> so I pack all my stuff in my pack, um, tighten everything up. It's, it's pitch black now because, I, like I said, it was a new moon. Um, walking out of there, walking out of the laurel, rode it in ticket, just pitch black. I'm mad. I think that I've you know, ruined everything. And I get to the path that I've walked up, and I, I, take, a, I take a look with my headlamp up that path to make sure <laughs> in all honesty to make sure no bears are coming or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So I look up at the path and I see eyes shining at me <clears throat> and I see a huge rack and I'm like, here we go. And I run up to it and it's a 12. I had no idea it was a 12 when I pulled the trigger. You know, everybody in a 10 mile radius heard me yell. <laughs> it was just a, it was a good time, man. Oh, so wait, so you go back, you're, you're kind of busting back through like the, the road engine and, and, uh, yes, sir. the mountain laurel, you pop out yes, on the sir. trail and that deer's dead laying there. That deer, that deer is dead laying there five feet from the trail. So he died <laughs> five feet from the trail that I walked in on. So, so how, every, <laughs> how far did he, how far did he go from where you shot him? Um, rough guess. He made a loop. We're guessing like 70 yards. I double lunged him. But how what happened was is whenever I shot, since there was a slight incline, it was a thirty two yard shot. I double owned him. <clears throat> but I guess where it was just like level with the cavity, his cavity had to fill up the blood. Mm-hmm. So he left not a drop of blood, man. 
And you won't talk about a bad feeling when you're not finding blood and you're that far back and you think you got a deer on the ground, but you don't know. God, so. But I got lucky. I, I got lucky that he died right beside the trail or else it would have been a really long night. L- listen, I- I'm thinking here, I'm like, dude, you, uh, when you were telling me that and you were about to walk on the trail, I'm like, this dude's about to do 16 miles to get this deer out because <laughs> – over four in, <laughs> f- over four back, going four more in, and then four more back. I'm like, dude, listen. All right. Well, this is this is, this at, is a heck of a story so far. <laughs> at at four thirty in the morning, whenever we made it back to the car, I'd done twenty one miles. So, and I, I got photos. I sent it to you all the time. That's that's no joke. That is that's Garmin. So. It was it was a long night, man. <laughs> well, so let's talk about this because I'm just interested in how. Again, you're a new hunter, dude. You yeah. ha- you have the confidence slash just I mean the I'm gonna say the boldness, dude, to get that far from the road to find the sign, which is awesome. Um, you, you get a deer down. What is running through your mind? You you got the deer down. Now are you how are you how are you planning on getting a deer out of there? Being that uh, far that's in? whenever that's whenever I had to rely on my friends, friends with a little bit more experience because. At this point in time, I have really no idea how to cape this thing. I have no idea how to. I, I, I can get the back straps, but as far as like the hams and the shoulder and everything else, I ain't got the first clue. So this is whenever I have to call up those friends, you know, that, hey, get in your phone call, but we'll do whatever you need. And you got a handful of them. Yeah, I, I'm guessing you got them, and, and I've got them too. And, uh, I have I have two buddies like that. And one's Cliff Johnson, one's Ryan Jacobs, and they both came up and they both helped me with it. Because it, if I if I didn't have them, I don't know what I would do. Well, that's so. Did y'all just uh, pretty much just pack them out? Oh uh, yes, sir. So <clears throat> I, I I skipped down the mountain. I don't feel I don't feel any tiredness or nothing. I'm skipping down the mountain, <laughs> just as happy as can be, you know. And uh, <laughs> skip down the mountain, get to the parking lot, meet my buddies. You know, we're, we're both of them don't believe that I you know, shot the deer. I show them a photo, and they, they start believing. But uh, take about a 15-minute break. I'm a little bit tired, and I need a little bit of water because I'm out of water. <laughs> so we go back up the mountain. Um, they're pretty good, man. One brought a bow saw. If you're backpacking, you've got a buddy that will bring a bow saw. I mean, that's, that's pretty awesome. So we took the back hands. <clears throat> we took the tenderloin. My buddy took the heart. Um, got the back straps off of them and kicked them out. So awesome! So y'all able to get the meat, pack them out, and uh, yes, and get them back, dude. That's that's a crazy night. And you said you were finally back at the truck with him at four thirty in the morning. I think it was it, it was between four fifteen and four thirty, and I took the shot at five forty five the the day before. <laughs> Man, you so, you get some good friends. Night. Yeah, you get some good friends. I'll tell you that, man. Especially, <laughs> especially if they're willing to suffer, you know, with you through that whole experience. But that's awesome. I mean, you talk about like a memorable hunt for your first rack deer, and not only just a rack <laughs> deer, but like a freaking big deer, dude. Um, uh, I had no idea that it was a twelve. Like, like I just I saw a rack and I identified him as a shooter. He impressed me. It was it would. I didn't care that he was a 12 or not. He was just an impressive deer, and I, I was proud of him. So that's why I took the shot. Oh, man, that's awesome. So, you know, from that whole experience and everything, what have you learned from that? What can you kind of apply now from, again, <clears throat> you know, stuff that you've heard from other guys talk about, stuff that you personally learned? You know, how are you going to use what you've learned to kind of apply now for the rest of the season, but also maybe going into next year? That's a good question. Um let me think. Um, 
<clears throat> from everything that I learned from that experience, I as soon as you take the shot, you need you need to have a little bit of uh, restraint, a little bit of I guess it's calm to really pay attention to where that deer runs, because it is a it is an absolutely terrible feeling to get down to where that deer is and you kind of know the direction, but then you actually, I mean, in all honesty, I had no idea where that deer went. As soon as I shot him, I had no idea. So the next time that I go, and if, if I'm lucky enough to take another shot on the deer, I need to pay attention to where that deer runs. Um, let's see. Maybe another thing that I would, that I would correct for the next time is, is do like a loom. Was it a luminock? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like so a, I can actually, a yeah. lighted knock on your, on your bolt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lighted knock on the bolt um, because I did not, I couldn't see the bolt whenever it hit. I heard it hit, but I, I wasn't 100% confident that I hit. I was like 90% sure, but I wasn't all the way. So a lighted knock, pay attention to where the deer runs, give it time. Um, I know I was up in the stand, I was vibrating, I just give it time because if it hadn't been such a good shot, I could have potentially bumped that deer and I could have turned it into an excessively long night. Uh, let's see. Another thing. I guess going back to the, like, you said something about, you know, new hunters listening to this. Just don't be afraid to, don't be afraid to walk. Don't be afraid to fail and just keep looking for the good sign. I mean, that's, that's what I did. And I'm, I'm not a smart guy and I'm not really a huge outdoorsman, but I was willing to walk and I was willing, willing to listen to people who know what they're talking about. You have to filter out a lot of the people who, who will give you advice and they're not, you know, they're not really who you need to pay attention to. So if you can filter out a little bit of the, the bad advice, focus in on the people who are actually willing to help you and listen to what they have to say. I think it goes a long way. That's, I mean, I would have been able to, to kill that deer without, you know, podcasts like yours or, or some of the dudes at work that pointed me in the right direction. Yeah, well, that's awesome. You know, to be honest, that's really been the goal of the, our show. Our show is to, you know, interview guys that are going to be relatable to people across the southeast, but really across the country, no matter the experience, whether it's somebody that's been hunting for 45 years or somebody like yourself that literally just got into it like a year ago. Um, yeah. That That is awesome. And just to be able to see how you were able to pick up on certain things, apply, you know, some of your background being in the military from map reading and just having the, the, the really just the, the boldness to go out there and look for the sign and just be willing to learn is exciting because again, there's, there's, I have no issue. And I, again, I'll, if a guy has private land to hunt on, that is awesome. But a lot of guys I see that get into deer hunting that hunt private land, especially in states that can bait, they get a totally different experience, and a lot of those people, they might kill a couple of deer, but they don't stick with it just because they don't see any challenge with it. There's no real kind of passion behind it other than just sitting on a green field or sitting on, you know, a bait pile <clears throat> where yeah. you're going out there, you're putting in the work, and you're getting rewarded on it. You know, one yeah. reward that I think a lot of people don't think about is when you put in the effort to run trail cameras and you find a good deer or a big deer like what you've done on trail camera, that is rewarding. And then you get the reward of trying to piece apart on how you are going to try to kill one of those deer that you've got on camera or kill a deer that's in the area that's leaving down a lot of big sign. Um, We've got, by the way, we've got an episode coming out. We're recording this the night before this drops, but 
we got an episode coming out this Monday that I think will really speak to you, along with a lot of other guys on the podcast. I think a lot of people are going to listen to Monday's episode is really going to like it. Uh, but understanding how, you know, sign truly dictates where to hunt and how to hunt, especially in areas that you can't just run trail cameras um, and how you can kind mm-hmm. of find those quality deer. So it, it sounds like you it's really clicked with you, even though, again, the experience that you have is limited, but you're learning very, very quickly, which is exciting. It's exciting from yeah. my standpoint because I like seeing guys like yourself go out there, have success, and, dude, to be honest, kill some deer that I myself am jealous about, my man. <laughs> <laughs> I do appreciate that, man, and, and I appreciate you um, inviting the dudes that, that hunt the mountains because that's you can watch the hunting public, you can watch all those other type of YouTube videos or, or, or podcasts, and they do not talk about that. And that was the first time that I heard somebody talking about woods that, that I know, you know, like 25, 35, 45,000 feet elevation, like, ah, oh, he's talking about Laurel. I know what Laurel, I know what a rhododendron is. Whenever that guy talked about, um, like, shoot he said like 100 acres worth of rhododendron tickets like i've been in those so that was cool because he, he spoke to me and I, I appreciate you you know going outside of alabama and coming up to like virginia and north carolina and interviewing some of those guys because if it hadn't been for them guys telling me about you know rhododendron tickets i'd have completely probably i would have probably completely overlooked them so well that's awesome well again perry maybe just kind of wrap us up you know, from what you've kind of learned from the podcast and learning in uh, kind of in person while in the woods, what advice would you give to a new listener? You know, not a new listener, but like a new hunter that might be listening to this episode. Again, a guy maybe has been only doing this for a few months or maybe a year or two. What advice would you give them to maybe so they can learn a little bit quicker and kind of pick up on some of the things that you picked up on? Okay. So first off, get in the woods. Um, that's the biggest thing. You need to get in the woods. You need to spend time in the woods. You can't kill him from the couch. Uh, that's what Tim Beaver always told me. He's he's the old timer that I talk to at work and bounce ideas off of. You can't kill him from the couch. You got to get in the woods. The more you're in the woods, the more you're going to start picking up on stuff. Also, you need to find you a couple good mentors, people that will walk through the woods with you and show you signs, especially as a new hunter. Because, like I said, you know, about an hour ago, <clears throat> this time last year, I had no idea what a rub was. had no idea what a scrape was. But I did have some good friends that are good hunters. You know, Jake, Jake Barnett, Brett Hardis, Mickey Ledford. These guys kind of walked in the woods with me and pointed stuff out. Or I'd be, I would walk in front of them and be like, is this a rub? Is this a scrape? Is this a deer trail? And they would, that would validate that. When they validate that, it gives you a little bit more self-confidence con- uh, in it. So find you some good mentors that know what they're talking about and listen to them. Just be a sponge. Listen to them. Listen to what they say. Go out. Try to find it yourself. All right, folks, that's going to do it for those two listener success stories. I hope you guys enjoyed this. Um, I kind of enjoy going back in the vault and pulling some of these out every once in a while, uh, maybe once or twice a year. This, it's, it's fun for me uh, to go back and, and look through because, you know, we do, we've done so many episodes. Sometimes it's like you forget about some of these and you kind of start going back through and you're like, oh, yeah, that one, that was, that was a really good one. I got something from that. Uh, and we really enjoy this, um, especially the listener success stories. If you guys aren't uh, already listening to uh, these listener success stories, they drop every Friday. Uh, be looking for another one this Friday, a fresh one coming out. We haven't done it in a couple weeks because uh, Jacob's been in Iowa. He was in Iowa for a while, and then uh, he left from there. And I met him at ATA, and then we were at ATA all weekend. So been a very, very busy stretch here over the last two three weeks. But we're kind of getting back into the swing of things, getting back to normal here. 
Looking forward to a lot more deer season left here in Alabama and a lot more awesome guests coming up for this deer season. And uh, we have a pretty big announcement we're going to make about deer content coming up here soon. So y'all definitely stay tuned for that. Like I said earlier, stay tuned for the survey that is going to be coming out Wednesday. That survey is actually going to have to do with that announcement. So y'all definitely be on the lookout for that. Jacob's actually still driving down, uh, trying to get home from ATA right now. Uh, it's been a pretty long drive for both of us. Andy had a trip to the taxidermist to make with his Iowa buck. So it's been a long night, long weekend, a lot of work. But we're looking forward to getting back in the woods and hopefully finishing out our season strong. I still got to put a dang buck on the ground. So we're going to see what happens here over the next couple weeks. As always, greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate you guys listening and supporting the show. It means a lot to us. And I'm going to ask, if you haven't already, please share the show with a buddy. That is the best way you can help the podcast. Go share it with a friend, text them over a link or whatever, however you want to share it. Send it over and say, hey guys, you ought to listen to this. I enjoy it. That is a massive help to the show. So if you guys could do that, that would be fantastic. We would really appreciate it. Other than that, you can of course leave us a five-star review on iTunes if you are enjoying the show. We're going to read those on the outro again this week. Typically read them every single Wednesday, so... Y'all don't forget about that. And kind of the last thing I'm going to leave this with is, uh, guys, if you've got a listener success story, write in with it. We've got a whole bunch of them that have flowed in kind of over over the last couple weeks. And we don't always get back to all of them because there's a lot that come in. But just know that, that we are seeing your messages and we really do appreciate them. Uh, and keep sending them in, man, because uh, we love getting them. We love having the options there. And it's hard to pick which ones we're going to do for these listener success story episodes just because there's so many good ones out there. So, I mean, y'all keep it up. We really, really love seeing them. And even more than seeing them, we love sharing them with everybody. So definitely appreciate that, guys. Send us in what you got. I know that y'all Alabama killers are going to be out there hopefully finishing strong this season. I know the states around us, uh, we're still going strong. Georgia, uh, Mississippi, Florida, Louisiana, everybody. So y'all finish strong. Send us some more listener success stories. Thank you guys for listening. And we'll see you back here on Wednesday for the outro. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman. And thank you to Blackberry Smoke for the music for the podcast. Also, to follow along with us, make sure you check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Until next time, y'all stay Southern. Y'all go ahead and write down the dates, June 28th through June the 30th. Go ahead and just mark those off your calendar so you can be at the Dalton Convention Center in Dalton, Georgia for the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard a, a ton of content from that expo last year that we posted. Uh, we talked about it a ton. Look, if you're the kind of person that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It was literally designed 
for you, which means you're going to love it. You know, all the best companies in mobile hunting are going to be there. A lot of the best deer killers in the Southeast are going to be there. A lot of our past podcast guests are going to be there. It's just, it's going to be an incredible event. And hey, if you've been looking to either get into a saddle or maybe a mobile lock-on setup or just a different kind of tree stand setup, I'm telling you, it's worth the investment to go to this show because they're all going to be there and you, you will get to try all of them in person before you buy it. So you don't have to order something online and then wait for it and then try it when it comes in to see if you really like it. You're going to get to go put your hands on everything all in one day, test it all out and figure out exactly what works best for you and have it taken care of before deer season starts. So like I said, go ahead and put it on your calendar, guys. It's a no brainer. You got to be at the show. Again, it's Friday, June 28th through Sunday, June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. We absolutely cannot wait to meet you guys there and talk hunting. So we'll see you at the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo in Dalton, Georgia.